Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Boyle, and this week on the podcast, I have a very special guest, Sarah Rusbach. Now, Sarah is a certified women's health and well-being coach and an accredited gray area drinking coach and a keynote speaker sharing her journey to sobriety and the impact of alcohol on mental health to global audiences. Now, I really loved my conversation with Sarah today. I think, you know, the topic of alcohol and alcohol consumption is a really great conversation to have and more of us should be having this conversation. So let's have a listen in. Hi, I'm Kate Boyle, and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Hi, Sarah. How are you going? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. It's lovely to have you on today because I think this is a topic that we really need to talk about and we probably don't talk about nearly enough. Yes, absolutely. It's a topic that I think is becoming more prevalent in mainstream media now. Like, There's more and more media articles coming out all the time about alcohol, about grey area drinking, about the impact of alcohol. Um, but there's still nowhere near enough, in my opinion. Yeah, agree. And if for listeners that may not know you, can you just do a short little intro, you know, about who you are and who you work with and what you do? Yeah, so I'm a grey area drinking coach, and we'll come on to that in a minute as to what grey area drinking is, because I'm sure it's a term that not many of your listeners will have heard before. Um, I set up my business um, coming up to just over two years ago now, and I work with predominantly women all over the world who are looking to change their relationship with alcohol. So I personally stopped drinking um, coming up to four years ago now. I had a very dysfunctional relationship with alcohol, and I'll share a little bit more about this, I'm sure, as the journey and as the podcast goes on. But it really, once I removed alcohol, everything changed in my life, everything. And I went on this kind of it was the the awakening for me to find my purpose and find my mission in life to go out there and share this message that all the stuff we're told about alcohol that life without it is going to be boring and terrible and lonely and miserable <laughs> and we're never going to have fun again is absolutely not true and um, so I've been working with um with global audiences for the last couple of years around gray area drinking so segueing to that what is gray area drinking so up until recently, the conversation around alcohol has been you're an alcoholic or you're a social drinker, right? But that keeps people really trapped for a really, really long time because the problem is that most of us have a stereotype of what an alcoholic is. So let me ask you, what what's you what's the first thing that comes to mind for you when you think of someone who says, I'm an alcoholic? They drink either a lot of alcohol or they drink all the time. Yeah. So, like, you know, if you think about films and TV shows and how the media has, has portrayed alcoholics, it's people who wake up with shaking hands and they, they have to have a drink first thing in the morning. Maybe they're homeless. Maybe they've lost their job, their relationship, their driving license, their, their house, their family. 
And we really do consider an alcoholic to be kind of the last stage of alcoholism and where you've lost everything. So if you aren't there, then you don't consider yourself an alcoholic, but you know that you have a problem with alcohol, then what are you? So the way I think of it is this, let's think of a scale of one to 10, one being someone who doesn't drink, or maybe they have a glass of champagne at a wedding once a year to toast the bride and groom and and otherwise alcohol just doesn't feature in their life at all. 10 is that end stage physical dependency on alcohol. So someone who needs to have medical assistance to stop drinking, otherwise they can die because it's really important to note here that alcohol is one of only three substances in the world that the human body can die from withdrawal from. The other two, one of them is illegal and the other you can only get from a a practitioner who writes you a prescription for a limited amount at any one time. Alcohol is available everywhere. encourage that we drink it and is listed as an essential service during lockdown but the human body can die from withdrawal from alcohol so we've got a one and a ten on the scale both of which are very extreme like not many people would fall into either of those categories but if we look at the lower end of the scale and we start to move up there I consider gray area drinking about a five to an eight on that scale so we've got to the point where We're using alcohol as a crutch. We have a crap day at work. We have an argument with our husband. The kids are driving us mad. We didn't get that promotion that we'd gone for. We're experiencing an uncomfortable emotion. And the only way we know how to make it go away is to open a bottle of wine and drink it. So gray area drinking is when alcohols become a crutch in some way. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm in any WhatsApp mums groups where you wouldn't go into the group and go, oh, my God, the kids are driving me nuts today. And the first response would not be go and have a glass of wine and pour yourself, you know, go and pour yourself a glass of wine and get five minutes. Like we enable each other all the time to be using alcohol in this way. And it's almost become normalized that that is what women use as a crutch to manage their stressful lives. But let's remember what alcohol is which is, you know, a, a class one carcinogen that, that, that is incredibly detrimental to our health. So gray area drinking, five to an eight on that scale. Yeah, well, I mean, alcohol is a poison, essentially. <laughs> like yeah. there is no nutritional benefits from drinking alcohol whatsoever. And, you know, you kind of almost wonder how it got so prevalent in society. Um, From my nutrition background, I guess what I often see um, is, you know, the sporting, you see the sporting people, they win their game and then they're celebrating in the club rooms and they're drinking alcohol or it's the Melbourne Cup and it's the races and all the tents are sponsored by Verve and it's all, you know, forefront, centre, cool to drink and all the rest of it. But I do think, you know, part of what you said, there is a change. I think this next generation that's coming through, you know, there's a lot more non-alcoholic and mocktails and stuff coming onto the market. So there is a demand coming through, which I think is great. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, coming back to what you just said then about when did alcohol become so prevalent? um, And I focus predominantly on women. um, Mm -hmm. um, I think it was in the 1990s um, or late, you know, early 2000s that the alcohol industry identified that the only, that their, their least performing 
segment was women. They were making they weren't making enough money from women. So how could they start to get more women hooked on their substance? And a conscious decision was made to start targeting women in their advertising and marketing of alcohol and enter. And and how could they get younger girls? They made the decision to start earlier and go harder. And how could they get younger girls addicted to their um, their products so that they would carry on to have brand loyalty and enter the Alcopop? And so Mm. this was a conscious, deliberate decision by big alcohol at that stage to start targeting young girls and then to go on to target um, women. Mm. Which is atrocious, but not surprising because that's what all the big food companies and pharmaceutical companies and all that all do anyway. That's how they make money. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So with your own journey, did you have a tipping point where you were just like something needs to be done or... What led you to to then just go, okay, no no alcohol? For me, it was a definite gradual demise of kind of my mental health and my physical health. Um, I'd always been a big drinker. I'd always been a binge drinker in like teens and 20s. I grew up in the north of England where, you know, your initiation into your teenage years, age 14, was to fill up the soda stream bottle with as many different spirits as you could find in your parents. (laughs) parents drink cabinet mix them all together add some lemonade on top go down the local park skull it and kiss the local boys and that was kind of what my initiation was into alcohol and and how you drank and it never even occurred to me that I wouldn't drink because alcohol was what you did when you were a grown-up like my parents my dad was an alcoholic my parents had a lot but it was never disruptive in our house he wasn't destructive he wasn't violent he just loved a drink and we had a lot of parties at our house but all I ever saw growing up was raucous laughter and fun that was coming from the dining room where all these dinner parties were happening with my parents and drunk adults who were happy and smiley and giving you hugs and seemed to to be the happiest people in the world and so for little Sarah growing up it was like shit right I want that when I'm a grown-up because they're all happy and they all drink and and you don't of course see those same people with their head down the toilet at three o'clock in the morning vomiting and and, and filled with shame so as a little girl you're so impressionable to to seeing what your parents are doing um, so, of course, when I grew up, it was never a question of would I or wouldn't I drink? Like, hell yeah, give me some of what they've got kind of thing. So alcohol played a big part in my life through that time. But it was always social. It was always what I did to party. It wasn't something I did on my own. For me, the changing point came where a couple of big things happened at once. I had um, two children very, very close together. So they were um, 18 months apart and we moved to Australia. So I had lived left my home I'd left my friends I'd left my family I'd left my career and I was living on the other side of the world I mean looking back what the hell was I doing (laughs) I was on the other side of the world with two kids under two no support um having gone from having a very successful high-flying career I which involved me doing you know whining and dining at the best restaurants in London weekends in New York and Saint-Tropez all of a sudden I was sitting home in Perth changing nappies pureeing carrot going to baby (laughs) right time And without a friend or anyone that knew me well to be able to connect with, and connection is a core value for me. And I was so lonely, Kate, and I was so homesick. And alcohol became a friend. It became something that, oh, well, when I drink wine, all those feelings go away. So hell, of course, I'm going to keep drinking the wine because who wants to sit with those feelings, right? Mm. So, and for a short time, it works. 
because alcohol does what we want it to do. It numbs our feelings. It numbs our emotions. It makes them all go away. But the problem is that consistent drinking over a period of time is only ever going to go in one direction. And that direction is you become dependent on it. You build up tolerance so you need more. And over time, it starts affecting things like your sleep. So every time I drank, I would wake up at 3 a.m., which is a physiological response to the alcohol. So I started combining alcohol with sleeping tablets so that I didn't get the 3 a.m. wake up. So you can imagine how I felt at 6 a.m. when the kids are jumping on the bed and you've had a bottle of wine and a sleeping tablet. Like Mm. I was waking up every day hating myself, promising I'm not going to drink tonight. Oh, my God, I'm definitely not drinking tonight. Right. Today's day one. I'm going to get up. I'm going to put the kids in crash. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to have a good day. But of course, you're hungover. You're tired. You're feeling like crap. You pour a coffee. You sit on your phone. You go on Facebook. You make a bacon sandwich. And then before you know it, it's five o'clock and you're pouring another glass of wine. And, and so that cycle continues. And so for me, that just kept going for a really long time and eventually made a lot of friends. But this is said with all kinds of love, I attracted or I sought out people that love drinking as well because that's what you do when you're a grey area drinker you want to be around other people that drink in the same way that you do so my drinking just got worse and worse and at one point I went to my GP and I was like I had such bad anxiety by this point and I said to my GP oh I'm a mess I've got these like these I never used to worry about things so much and all I do is worry about everything that I've said do I sound like a dick have I made a fool of myself what does that person think of me like this was just these thoughts that just never stopped and so at no point did she say to me how much are you drinking and yet happily gave me a script for anti-anxiety meds to kind of go and, and be on your way um I didn't take the tablets I this was 2017 I was 41 And I don't know what it was. I just had this inkling that the best thing I would be able to do would be to take just a 21-day break from alcohol. By this point, I was like, drinking's got a bit too much. I never did I think it's a problem. I just was like, yeah, maybe I should just cut back a little bit. I want to lose a bit of weight and and I want to just feel a little bit better. Um, And I'd had a couple of incidents, one where I'd fallen over and cut my face open and and just things that had just happened that it was just like I've got to cut back a bit so I went out in 21 days and I did 100 because I just kept going because I was like shit so, so this is what it's like to wake up without a bottle of wine and a sleeping tablet and have energy and a positive mindset and a happy mood and to actually do the things I say I'm gonna do like go to the gym and, and sort stuff out and and I just was feeling so positive and and had this mental clarity that I hadn't had for so long and so I kept going but it was hard from a social perspective because a lot of what I was getting was oh you're still not drinking Mm. when are you gonna drink again why don't you just have one or two you don't have to be so black or white like everyone had something to say about the fact that I wasn't drinking and everyone thought they knew best and so eventually I was like okay I've done 100 days I'll now be able to be a moderate drinker. Now I'll be someone that just has one or two once a week and and everything will be fine. I'll go back to drinking moderately. And within two weeks, I was back to drinking the same amount as before. And and that carried on for two years. And then April 2019, I just drew the line. And I just said, I am the best version of me when I don't drink. I am the happiest, I'm the healthiest, my mental health is at its best, I've got the most energy, 
I've got the most positivity. Like everything in my life is better when I don't drink. Why do I keep going back to it? And made the decision, remove alcohol, went into therapy, did some deep work on myself. And yeah, coming up to four years in April. Oh, that's amazing. And I think so many people can relate to that story and it might not even be alcohol maybe it's cigarettes you know maybe it's gambling it's a a different type of substance that may have that sort of addiction and going back to it but if someone's sort of listening and they're like yeah I'm resonating and I I think I might be in that cycle but they're not really sure how to break it where do you suggest that they start looking to make the change yeah so there's some brilliant books. So if, if you go on my website, I've got a free guide that you can download, which is like my free guide to taking a break from alcohol. And it's got everything in it that helped me in the early days. It's got the books, it's got the podcasts, it's got what I did to change up my habits and my rituals. So for me, I couldn't be in the kitchen at five o'clock. Like I just couldn't be there. So I would sometimes cook dinner, do a slow cooker first thing in the morning so that at five o'clock I knew dinner was done and I would go and have a bath. Or I would do a 5 p.m. gym class if my husband was home from work so that I was out of the house. Like I had to to work hard to change up the routine. And so all of that is in that that guide. And then I also have a free Facebook community called the Women's Wellbeing Collective, which is just got so much information. If you're sober curious, it's a brilliant place to go because it's got women at all stages of their sobriety journey. Some haven't started yet. Some are seven years sober, but everyone is so supportive and welcoming and warm and open. And you will just start to to see other women talking about their sober journeys and what they're getting from it. And I think that's the first place is to start absorbing this information because if we're surrounded by people that drink a lot, then our echo chamber is just you must drink alcohol to have a good time. So putting yourself in another place where people are going, no, 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 that's not true. Come on to my side where you'll see that actually you have a better time without the alcohol and you just start shifting that mindset a little bit. Yeah. Well, I know myself, we don't drink, me and my husband, neither of us drink very often. We might have a glass once a month, once every couple of months. Um, And our reason why that stemmed about, because we used to drink more in our younger days, was because we know when we have alcohol that we, when we wake up, we never get a good night's sleep. We always wake up not feeling tired. Even if it's only, you only have two, you still don't wake up as refreshed, as focused. Um, I can, it affects my gut. Like I know it affects my, you know, going to the toilet and stuff the next day. I don't feel well. And so I guess in a sense, we've both made that decision that we want to wake up every day feeling great. And like you said before, our best version of ourselves is when we don't drink the alcohol. And if yeah. we do, we have one, we try to enjoy it, but often you'll have the one and then just be like, why did I bother? I, like, you know, it doesn't really yeah. make much of a difference, which, yeah. you know, I know can be hard for people to get to but I guess part of that is a mindset and as you said changing habits and and working towards it too. Hi everyone I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that you can download a free 15 minute core Pilates workout that I've designed especially for you to work your entire body and your core including your pelvic floor and deep layer of abdominals 
to really build strength, stability, and mobility. This is a nice quick workout you can fit into your day. It's definitely 100% doable. You don't need any equipment to do it. And I guarantee once you finish your 15 minutes of Pilates, you will feel stronger, more energized, taller, and really joyful and happy for moving your body and getting those endorphins moving. So don't forget, head on over to the show notes and download that free core workout and try some Pilates with me. I can't wait to see you on your mat. So if you know you are hanging around people that drink quite a bit, and I think some of this can be cultural and some of it can be family and they might you mean you might you might be in a family that you know when you do get together to celebrate things it is a thing that most people drink how do you deal with some of those pressures of people you're saying why haven't you got a drink make sure you get a drink what's going on because I know as a woman in my 20s and even early 30s especially when I started having my kids if I didn't have a glass of alcohol at an event everyone would be like are you pregnant? Like yeah. that was the go-to for a woman. Oh, yeah. oh, you're not, you don't have a glass of wine in your hand. Are you pregnant? Yeah, I know. It's incredible that, yeah, you would never say to someone, why aren't you smoking? Oh, <laughs> you're giving up smoking? Oh, go on, just have one. Like you would never say that, but with alcohol, it's so culturally ingrained in our society that we we can't, but that, I mean, that's just bloody brilliant marketing by big alcohol that has just brainwashed all of us um, into going, oh, the only way you can ever socialize and have fun is with alcohol. Um, so a few things that really work, alcohol-free drinks are brilliant um, in those situations. Like sometimes now even I'll take an alcohol-free champagne if I'm going to a barbecue, if there's going to be lots of people I don't know. Just standing there with a glass that looks like champagne just means that no one you know, bothers you and asks questions. The other thing is, do get support. Like something I didn't do, which looking back, I wish I had done, was I never openly shared with my friendship group how alcohol had been affecting me mentally. And so when I stopped, no one really knew why. They would just all be like, I was just like, I'm just taking a break. I just want to lose a bit of weight. Like I never owned it and went, alcohol's really affecting my mental health. It's it's giving me loads of anxiety I didn't say that and so when you kind of dismiss it and just be a bit like oh, I just want to lose a bit of weight people immediately think that you are going to be persuaded to have a drink with them and they just won't leave you alone and so um oh go on just have one or come and have one with me whereas if you just come out with it and go I'm really struggling and it's really important to me to have this break because I want to see how it feels mentally in my mental health if I'm not drinking for a period of time no one can argue with that. Like no one can turn around and go, oh, just have one. Like they, they, it, it just very rarely happens. And so being honest and owning it, taking your alcohol-free drinks. And this is the one time, Kate, that I'll say to my clients, it's kind of okay to lie. Like if, if it's going to make it easier, then just say, oh, my antibiotics. Just say, oh, I've got an event that I've got to get up for really early tomorrow. Like you, if you just don't want the questions, and sometimes in the early days, I just couldn't be asked with the questions of why I wasn't drinking, uh, particularly with people I didn't really know that well. And so I would just, just make up some excuse and pass it on. Um, and it would depend on what mood I was in. Like some, sometimes people are really nosy and they're really kind of like, but why aren't you drinking? Are you an alcoholic? Blah, blah, blah. And I would just like have these one liners like, oh, it makes me black out and sleep with strangers. And I, just, I would sit there and they're like, oh, you know, like just 
business. Like the pressure we put on people to drink alcohol, which is a class one carcinogen and directly causes seven types of cancer. It's insane. It's Mm. absolutely insane. And it's interesting, last week in Canada, they've just come out. I don't know if you've seen it in the news and they've just come out and changed their government health guidelines for alcohol and reduced it from 15 units a week to zero. Oh, wow. First country that has come out and said there is no safe amount of alcohol. Well, good, because they're, you know, that's exactly right. But it's interesting that they went from 15 to zero and not like 15 to 10 or to five. Yeah, Yeah. so they said two drinks, but ideally zero, two drinks a week. But if, if you want to eliminate the health risks associated with alcohol, then there is no safe amount. Yes. As a nutritionist, I find this very hard to communicate with my to my clients because majority of them that I will see are generally women and they are usually coming to me in their 40s and 50s and there is some sort of lifestyle, maybe it's a thyroid condition or an autoimmune because something's tipped them to go, okay, I need to do something. And generally there is one consumption and around that's that I'm cooking dinner at five o'clock, I like a glass of wine. But then when we eat dinner, it's nice to have a glass of wine with dinner. And then my husband's like, well, we've already had two and there's this much of the bottle left. So let's just finish it off. And so then, you know, they sort of say to me, we only do that, you know, only generally only on the weekends. Maybe if we go out during the week, you know, it's like, oh, they think it's two days. Then and they think it's three. Then they might have, you know, alcohol most days really when they think about it. And when I talk to them to try to communicate that this is one area that we can, you know, try to, to eliminate because it's not providing any nutritional um, benefits. It's not going to help your hormones, your sleep, your immunity, anything at all. Trying to get them to see that this is an issue is often very difficult, like to communicate that. And they're very unwilling to give it up completely. And, you know, they will talk about cutting it back. But when they do come and see me again, I'll be like, oh, I tried the one glass. Then I had a second on a few nights and it kind of escalates quite quickly. So do you have any advice for people that, you know, they might be working or even just have a loved one that's maybe potentially drinking too much, but they don't realise that that's the situation? The thing with alcohol is it's really sneaky. It sneaks up really quickly and really subtly. And so we don't often realize how much we're drinking. And so the first place to start is get really clear on how much you're drinking. Because one unit is a very, very small measure of wine. Mm. Most of us at home are not pouring one unit. People would say to me, I'm having two glasses a night, but it was the equivalent of like two thirds of a bottle. (laughs) Um, Two glasses by by standards at home could be four units a week. Four units um, in one session, sorry, four units a day. Four units in one session is considered binge drinking. Mm. And we, alcohol use disorder is anything more than 12 units a week. Which isn't a lot when you talk in units, because no. as you said, most people, you know, they're not pouring 100 mil, they're pouring at least 250 to 300 mil in that glass. Definitely. Yeah. And if you're having, doing, having two glasses like that three times a week, you're hitting 12 units. Mm. For every... 10 grams of alcohol that we have, which is a small glass for women, we are increasing our chance of cancer by 4%. 
um, like the links, they now say in Australia that one in five, 20% of breast cancer diagnoses are directly caused by alcohol. Which is huge. Huge. <laughs> Absolutely huge. So going back to what you said before, there's a reason that we can't stick at one. So when we have one drink, this is what happens. We create this huge disruption in our brain of our neurotransmitters. We get a huge surge of GABA, which is a depressant. That's why alcohol makes us feel calm and relaxed. And because our brain just hates the, the, the imbalance that that causes, our brain releases a huge surge of cortisol to counter the impact of the GABA and the alcohol. So once the alcohol wears off, we are left with this excess cortisol, which is the stress hormone, which is circulating around the body. So if we start at a three out of 10 and then we have a drink, and we go up to about, oh, I feel an eight or a nine out of 10 right now. And then 20 minutes later, the alcohol's worn off. We don't go back to a three. Because of the excess cortisol that we've just released now, we go back to about a zero or a one. So after that first drink, you then crave another drink just to counter the impact of the lack of balance that's been caused by the first drink. So for most of my clients, it's physically impossible to have one drink. Like the, the the imbalance that happens in their brain. Now, this isn't about willpower. This is the problem that most of my clients have is they come to me and they go, I've just got to be stronger. I'm so weak. I don't have enough willpower. I just, I always want to stop at one, but I just can't. And I'm like, that's not your fault. That is not because you're weak or you lack willpower. That is because of a neurological response that happens when you drink alcohol that for some people make it so hard not to then have the second because the, after the alcohol's worn off, you are left feeling worse than you did before you even had your first drink. So I always say to everyone, give yourself a chance of doing, say, 30 days off. And if you can't do 30 days, well, that's the first sign you've got a problem, right? If, if the thought of, and you think that you can't take 30 days off alcohol, then like come and look at the programs that I offer because doing, I run 30 day programs for women, um, doing it with other women in that echo chamber of other women doing it if we surround ourselves by other drinkers. Because what I do is I give the education and the information that helps them to change their mindset around alcohol. And that's the biggest part of all of this. Yes, there's a physical response, but it's also our mindset because we're so conditioned to believe that we need it, that it relaxes us, that it's that reward at the end of the day, that we're more fun with it or, or whatever the stories are in our heads. And I think the support too, because, you know, the saying is that you are most like the five people that you surround yourself with. So if you are surrounding your, you know, your closest friends or family that you see all the time are drinking all the time, then you're putting yourself into that situation all the time that aren't going to be supporting you to not drink. Exactly. Exactly. Like I've got a challenge happening at the moment, my January challenge, and there's 650 women doing it from all over the world. And they're all going in, they're supporting each other, they're sharing with each other. The vibe and the energy in the group is just incredible because there is nothing like being able to do it. Like You don't have to do it on your own. Doing it on your own is bloody hard when we live in such an alcohol-centric society. Yeah, 100%. And if people are listening in and they've got, say, you know, teenagers that are coming through the household that are looking to you know maybe they're asking questions about alcohol maybe they're going out with their friends and they're obviously being put in more situations now where alcohol is more free-flowing what advice do you have for them 
it's interesting you say that because I'm just writing a pitch document at the moment that I'm sending out to schools because I want to start going in and start talking to because this is the the missing piece I started drinking at 14 we now know that that teenagers that start drinking earlier so like 14 15 16 are four times more likely to develop alcohol use disorder so for your teenagers educate them inform them but that involves educating and informing yourself be a role model like if your kids only ever see you socializing with alcohol monkey see monkey do that's what they're going to think socializing is if they see you being able to go out and have a great time without alcohol then they start to get that message you don't need alcohol to have a great time but we've got to look at our own drinking if we want to have that positive impact on our kids yeah Oh, that's what you said. We've got to lead by example, don't we, if we're going yeah. to uh, <laughs> do that. But I do generally, I think there were some stats, I can't remember the numbers that came out, but they did say that this next generation of kids coming through are drinking less than previous generations. Yeah, they're drinking much less. Like the only demographic where alcohol consumption is going up rather than down is middle-aged women. Mm, that's scary though, isn't it really? It's scary. <laughs> but I did a talk um, last week with a hormone specialist and we were talking about for women, like in our late 30s, we stop producing as much progesterone and progesterone is the hormone that, that makes us feel less anxious and calmer and more relaxed. And so of course, we're going to look for something that does that for us if our body is not doing it itself and alcohol in the short term that's what it does, right? And so it's educating ourselves as to what's happening in our body as we're hitting these perimenopause years, how we can start supporting any depletions that are happening within our neurotransmitters and our hormones so that we the cravings for alcohol are less. Yeah, 100%. I do a lot of work with um, women with perimenopause and menopause and, yeah, talk a lot about hormones and hormone balances. So if people are sort of going through that stage and they are at the minute reaching for alcohol, what are some of the sort of tips that you suggest that they can do instead of reaching for that glass of wine at dinner time when they're, you know, sort of feeling in that, it might even be, you know, that five o'clock time and it's a habit that they've formed? Yeah. So for so many of my clients, um, keep the ritual, change the ingredient. So swapping for an alcohol-free drink has been absolutely brilliant at that five o'clock time. So an alcohol-free champagne, an alcohol-free gin and tonic, something else that you're still just having that drink, having that glass in hand, but it just doesn't contain alcohol. It's looking at how else am I soothing my nervous system? What are my stress levels like? Do I have a meditation practice? Do I have a yoga practice? Do I have enough support? I've got connection in my life. Do I get out and exercise enough? What's my diet like? If we take alcohol out, we have to look at what we're putting in because you can't just remove alcohol and then do everything else the same because we're going to be craving and missing it immediately. So it has to be right. I've taken out alcohol, but what I've replaced it with is on Tuesday nights, I do my yin yoga class. On Wednesday night, I do a dog walk with my friend Jen. On a Thursday night, I go and I go to night school and I do this. Like It's about starting to add into your life because here's the thing, alcohol makes us very lazy because we get a huge dopamine hit from sitting on our bums, watching Netflix, pouring a glass of wine, and we don't actually physically have to do something. So if we've become dependent on that feeling that we get from alcohol and we take the alcohol out, we've got to be adding stuff in, but it takes effort and it takes intention. And as long, but as long as we do that, like I've got clients who have 
gone back to uni, changed jobs, um, taken up new hobbies, started horse riding and tap dancing and amateur dramatics and, and just adding all these things back into their life because they've got time, energy, mental clarity and more money because they've stopped drinking. And so it can be done. Yeah. Well, I know there's a lot of research that shows with habits, your brain, it doesn't actually ever forget them. So you can replace them, as you said. So that the five o'clock, you know, in the kitchen, there's a habit and an environment. So you need to swap out, like you said, the alcoholic with the non-alcoholic, and you'll have a much better chance of fulfilling and keeping that habit going than if you just cut it out completely. And it's not to say that your body won't want to fall back into that habit when you're in that environment, but if you can either swap out the cue or the environment or change something, you have a much better chance of seeing that better habit follow through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, really interesting stuff. Now, I always love to ask my guests that for anybody listening, if they could, if you could give one piece of health advice that they could go away, you know, after listening to this and instigate straight away, what would it be? It would be take a break from alcohol. It would be see what you feel like. Give yourself an opportunity of doing 14 days and just see What's your energy like? What's your sleep like? What's your mental health like? What's your mood like? What are your relationships like? Are you more productive at work? Like give yourself an opportunity to take a break and see how you feel. Because it's only in doing that that we get to make a decision as to, well, which version of me and which version of my life do I like better? Because we've been doing it one way for a really long time. And that one way has been drinking most days, feeling slightly hungover and tired the next day. And basically living a four or five out of 10. And when you take a break from alcohol, you get to give yourself the chance of going, yeah, right. Well, maybe I could be an eight out of 10. And all I have to do is remove alcohol. Like give yourself that chance. Amazing. Now, where can listeners reach out and connect with you and follow you? Yeah. So head to my website, which is Sarah Rusbatch, which is R-U-S-B-A-T-C-H, sarahrusbatch.com. I'm on Instagram, Sarah Rusbatch, and I'm um, my Facebook community, the Women's Wellbeing Collective. Um, we've got about 13,000 women from all over the world who are just the most warm, welcoming, supportive group that you will find. Amazing. And I, I just think, you know, 13,000 women is amazing, you know, if they're making that change and supporting their bodies and, and moving along this journey, then, you know, well done to you too for bringing all these wonderful women together and getting that information out there. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.